Barney, do you remember the first time you thought about working in Hollywood? I think probably uh, when I was in my 20s. Uh, after college, I moved to New York City. Um, I wanted to be an actor, a theater actor, never thought about film and TV. Um, so um, I was lucky enough to work on various parts of the industry, um, commercials, uh, small parts, you know, on TV, but never really thought about like Hollywood film, feature films like that. But um, I was lucky enough to audition for Woody Allen's project, Hollywood Ending. I was able to get the part, um, and the part was substantial enough for me to, uh, to show my talent, I guess. Um, so with that part, um, I was given more opportunities to audition for feature films, and that was when I started thinking about Hollywood and features and, and, and film industries more seriously. Um, yeah, so that, that was when I moved out here to Los Angeles. Okay, so you, were, you went to Stanford. Went to Stanford. And, and you graduated, and then you went to New York, and then how did the audition, like how much longer did, the, did it take for this audition? Well, you know, I went through every, uh, I paid my dues. <laughs> you know, I went to uh, acting school, and I, I went to a lot of open calls. I, uh, I remember like um, Actors' Equity, you, you know, I didn't really have any kind of uh, representation then, so I had to like, uh, way in in the frigid cold weather, snowy weather, if open calls back then it was like you, you wait in huge lines, right, to open calls. So and then like um, always auditioning for commercials, industrials. Um, yeah, it's always auditioning, always taking classes. I think I was there in probably like seven or eight years before I was able to get anything substantial. Hollywood ending came, I think it was like eight years, seven to eight years later. Um, yeah, and I was also learning how to act then. You know, you became a better actor as years went by. So yeah, I was perfecting my craft, paying my dues. And yeah, after eight years, I was able to, you know, audition and get something substantial. What was it like on the set with, with Woody Allen? Like, what was that? I mean, you eight years, I mean, you were like, Okay, this is my time. You know, I learned a lot. Um, I think one of the most challenging part of being on set with Woody was he rarely gave give feedback to actors. Like we would rehearse, we would do a rehearsal, and we would do the we would just do the scene. And after the scene, he would be okay. Let's move on, right? Um, actors are usually very insecure. <laughs> We need constant feedback, right? So we didn't really get any feedback like, oh, that was great, you know, that was awesome, you know. So a lot of us were like really um, insecure. Oh my God, I did a horrible job. He didn't say anything to me. He hated us, whatever. Not just me, but a lot of, a lot of the actors on set felt that way. Um, but that was just his style. Sure. Um, I also learned that um, Everybody was perfectly cast. He had a really great casting director. Um, he chose actors very carefully. So I learned that um, if you cast the right actor for your project, you've won half the battle uh, for filmmaking. Yeah, so it was really great. I learned a lot. So, sorry, you were in New York doing that film or you came to LA? It was in, I was in New York City. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So then the film comes out, um, and then how much longer until you move to LA? I, I, I moved out here immediately. Oh, immediately, okay. Yeah, it was like, um, film came out, we opened 
the Cannes Film Festival. Wow. So we all went to France to promote the film. After that, it was in May, and then um, I moved out here in September. And yeah. so were you able to take, having been in that film, to get you new auditions? Or was it like starting from... from you know what, starting? it was really hard. I, um, I think the hardest part about actor's life is really um, maintaining that momentum. Um, initially, I was able to get a lot of auditions, but people are very forgetful. You constantly have to be working or be visible, um, which is always impossible for um, Asian American actors. Um, without roles, there's almost impossible, it was almost impossible to maintain the momentum of an actor. I mean, it was hard for everybody, but especially hard for uh, people of color, actors of color. Um, so yeah, initially it was good, but then it stopped. So that was kind of the, one of the reasons why I started like taking classes at UCLA, screenwriting classes, started uh, writing feature films, started uh, producing, directing shorts. Um, and then eventually it was a very logical um, evolution to becoming a filmmaker. To, you know, it was a desire to create your own opportunities for yourself. Um, yeah. You're moving to LA, you've just done this Woody Allen film, you've gone to Cannes. Where did you envision your career going once you kind of like got your footing here in LA? Did you have this image of how you were gonna be booking auditions or different things? So I was really naive, right? Like I thought, I thought that, oh, once you had a feature film, a substantial part on a feature film, great reviews, you were just gonna be offered parts and you were just gonna be, you know, keep going. Obviously things, things didn't turn out, you know, as I expected, it was so naive. So again, like every time uh, you work, every time you had a chance to showcase your talent, after that, you either have to capitalize on that opportunity or that, uh, that visibility to sort of eventually dissipate, fades away. Um, I wasn't able to capture, I wasn't able to, um, maintain the moment, momentum. Um, so, so yeah, again, that, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to create my own project and, and start writing and making films and um, just telling my own stories as an artist. So you enrolled at UCLA, did you, was it for another four-year program or these were just It was night? a professional screenwriting program. Oh, okay. So I, I think it took me two years to finish the program. Um, yeah, and then I fell in love with writing. I never thought I could write, you know, um, but having gone through the program, I, was, I learned about structure, I learned about character, I learned about all the stuff that that we need to be working on as a screenwriter, how to tell a story, how to conflicts and all this stuff. And so, um, yeah, I, I fell in love with the process. I fell in love with the process. Writing is one of those things you can do every day, even in your pajamas. Acting, you have to be given the opportunity, right? So, uh, so yeah, so I write every day. Uh, <laughs> I love it, I love the process. So when you were sitting in class at UCLA, whether they were night classes or whatever, were you ever like going back to the time when you were at Stanford being like, wait a minute, here I had this one sort of idea of what maybe where my life would be going. And now I'm in these classes at UCLA studying screen because you were a, a poli-sci major. Right, I was a poli-sci major. Um, I think life is really unpredictable. Um, I think life just evolves um, and different things happen to your life. Um, I think I, I just, 
I knew what I, what I needed to work on. I knew the challenges that were facing me. And I guess I just did what, 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 what felt right for me. So I just started taking classes. I never expected that I would be writing. Again, I, I didn't feel like I could write. I never felt like I could um, express myself in a very artistic way. Um, political science is one of those things that's very rational. It uses your left side of the brain, right? So, but being an actor and writing, crafting stories, it's very, very right brain kind of activity. So I never envisioned myself as an artist until I started writing. So yeah, it was very, very, um, it's just, life just evolved and you just sort of accepted it and took the opportunities and just went with it. So yeah. <laughs> At what point during the, the two-year class, the screenwriting um, courses, did you actually start on a full screenplay? When did they have you do that? So you said you were working I, it's on been a structure. Now, let me think. I, I think probably, I mean, even the first class you were, you were working on outline, the first class oh. you were sort of like developing an idea. Oh, and wow. then maybe like, maybe like you didn't, maybe you don't finish the first screenplay the first quarter or, and then eventually the second quarter you finish it. I don't remember, but it, 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 it was always the, uh, the, the idea to develop the concept and eventually writing and finishing your first draft. It was, you, were, you were always working toward that goal um, in the process, yeah. But when you finished it, when I finished my first screenplay, it was like, I felt so proud. It was like, it was the hardest thing I've done. And I, I mean, it wasn't good, but, it, but you know, but I felt proud of it. What was yeah. it about? I don't even remember, let me think. <laughs> uh, I think it was about uh, this New Yorker who raised a monkey in his apartment. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, and how he was emotionally devoid or disabled, so he was relying on this monkey to thrive. Therefore, he he raised this monkey in this tiny little apartment in New York City. So I think that was the concept. It's been a long time. Oh, it's been a while. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And was part of the class to read, uh, get feedback from from other fellow students? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. And the teachers too. Yeah. You learn a lot from your, from your uh, classmates too, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know from just taking a few writing classes, the thing I learned was like how many incredible writers there were. Like whatever I thought I did was great, I would hear other people and be like, oh my goodness, that's so amazing. Like, but you know one of the things I learned uh, from the class was, and this is really, really helpful for me as a writer, as a filmmaker, is to really take criticisms, be able to do that, and, and be able to be wise enough to know what feedbacks to, to t what advice to, to take and what advice from people to discard. And just be able to know that. Um, and, be able, and sometimes feedback from people, um, it gives you, it, 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 it makes you discover things you never considered before or things that are not clear to you, to them, so therefore it's not clear. So you just have to fix it whatever it is, you know. So I was able to like learn how to take notes graciously and wisely. So that was very important. That's interesting. So how could you tell when somebody was trying to be helpful rather than someone that was actually just like, I'm gonna trash this guy's work kind of thing? So you have to rely both on your left and right brain. 
rationally look at what they're saying without getting, without your ego getting in the way of, of what they're saying. So it's just to analyze, okay, so this note, rationally, is he or she right? Don't take away the ego, right? Don't say, oh my God, I don't like this person, or whatever. Take that away. It's just rationally analyze it and think about it. So, so definitely use that part, the rational part of your brain. But once you trust that note, then you have to use the right side of your brain to say, okay, now how do I come up with a solution? So that's the so left side and right side. That's how you how they work together to to take a, a note, uh, a constructive note. So I mean, rationally, if you know that this person is there to sabotage your work, just rationally looking at the notes and it makes no sense, ah, just discard it. That there you go. It makes so no sense. It just yeah. be very rational about it. Right. When, when you receive a note and when you solve the problem, try to solve the problem, use the right side of your brain. Interesting. Okay. I mean, I think people are intuitive and smart enough to know. Sure. Yeah. Just, you know, trust your instinct and don't let your ego get in the way, you no. know. Was the goal at the end of the class to end up making a feature film or no? It was strictly just to keep just honing to, your craft. Right, this is a screenwriting class. Oh, okay. Yeah, screenwriting class. And so after that, I started making short films. Um, I directed, I think, five short films. Um, and also, we really helped to be on set as an actor, so I know what, what's involved in filmmaking. So directing short films, being an actor on set, really helped me to prepare me for eventually um, making a feature film. When you were in this two-year screenwriting course at UCLA, was your plan to put acting on the back burner and, and stop auditioning while you learned writing or something different? I never saw writing and acting as contradictory disciplines or, or endeavors. I think they complement one another. So when I was taking classes at UCLA, I was also auditioning and working. And, and I even had a part-time job working at a law firm at night. So I never really saw um, I think these, I, these endeavors and goals are complementary of each other. Um, yeah, as, as an actor, it helped me how to write. As a writer, it helped me, helped me as an actor on like how to analyze the character and stuff like that. So it's very, very related. And um, yeah, the classes, I never really had any conflict in terms of auditioning, working, or classes. And if there were, I don't remember there were that many, you would just sort of work it out. <laughs> yeah. Were you a paralegal? At nighttime, yeah. Oh, okay. I was at night, yeah. I worked oh. at night, yeah. At Century City. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you were reviewing cases and helping out with different... You know, I was helping out with uh, whatever needed to, to all the attorneys that needed to get things done. But honestly, most attorneys, like, left after 6.30. I was pretty much there by myself working on my own project, writing and, you know. I've worked at yeah. law firms. I yeah. So, at 6 o'clock, it's usually 5.35. I yeah. like to say that these like law firms, they subsidize my artistic endeavors. Yeah. And if you were there at night, that's actually probably, because some of it's actually interesting because it's you are using this like critical thinking yeah. part of your brain and, and sort of problem solving and stuff. So. Um, so interesting. So you're doing, you're using that side, and then you're going to the screenwriting and acting, which is a difference. So you're, yeah. you're giving yourself a break. I think it's good to to, to exercise both part of, parts of your brain. Um, yeah. Why is being proactive part of your makeup or important to you? 
It's definitely important to me, um, but I think it's a necessity um, for actors in general, and especially for uh, people of color, actors of color, um, opportunities for Asian American actors are not as, there's, there's just not that many roles for an Asian American man. Um, so it's a necessity, it came out of necessity. Um, I just didn't have that many auditions compared to um, Asian American, my Asian American female friends or just, you know, non-Asian actors. So, or, so yeah, it, it came out of necessity. And it's very, very important also because I see myself as an artist. Um, I just need to be creating project. I need to be telling my own stories. I need to be telling my experiences, sharing my experiences. Um, and so I'm from like Asian American, immigrant, LGBTQ communities. There are so many stories that are, that, 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 that so many stories from my own community, from my own experience that I want to share. Um, and I think they're universal stories, universal experiences that most people can relate to. Um, and that what's so great about what's happening now um, in, in, in this age is that um, people of color and also like um, LGBTQ uh, filmmakers, actors, storytellers have so many more opportunities now to tell our authentic stories, um, immigrant stories too. So, so yeah, um, it's, it's important to be proactive. It's important to be telling our stories and it's important because it's out of necessity for me personally. At what point did you start thinking about Baby Steps, which is, um, is that your first feature film? That's first, my first feature film as a director, writer-director. Wow, okay. So after I've uh, directed five or six short films, um, I knew that the, the next logical evolution of my career would be to create my own project. And I knew that making a feature film is incredibly like difficult. Um, um, it's very involved. It takes a lot of your time from writing to raising money to pre-production to production, post-production, distribution. It's exhausting. So I was looking for a feature film topic that really resonated with me personally. Um, I can't imagine doing something or creating a project for that such a long process without being really passionate about, right? So, um, and I knew I wanted to make, it was, it, it was gonna be my first time directing a feature film, so I, I wanted an intimate relationship stories between people. Um, and also, um, as an immigrant, um, I'm very international. My, my family's from Taiwan. I grew up in Taiwan. Actually, I was born in Taiwan, but I grew up in the U.S. So um, going to Taipei and visiting Taipei, being international is part of my DNA background. So, so I knew I wanted to do a, a, an intimate character, emotional story, journey story, as well as um, some kind of global journey story. So, so I was like, you know, all these ideas were percolating in my mind and I had no idea what to write about, what to do. I was driving one day, um, I heard on a radio, on, I think it was NPR or, or KPCC, one of those like uh, radio stations that I listened to. Um, They're talking about this documentary called, um, it was for HBO documentary called, uh, it was called Google Baby. Uh, and the story was about this Israeli couple 
they wanted to adopt, no, they wanted to start a family. They wanted to have a, a baby of their own, um, a gay couple from Israel. But surrogacy was illegal for gay couple in Israel. It was legal for straight people, but not legal for gay couples. So the couple actually had to hire an egg donor in the US, work with a US egg donor, and then, and then transfer the eggs and embryos to an Indian surrogate in India. Oh, wow. And then so the Israeli couple, after nine months, travel to from, <laughs> God, it's so complicated, right? From Israel to, to India to pick up the baby, to bring the babies home. So this is a global journey, right? Yeah. So when I heard that story, I was like, oh my God, this is my story. So, um, so that inspired me to create Baby Steps. So instead of a, a couple from Israel, I sort of asked myself, what if that couple, what if, what if I had a partner that wanted to have a family, wanted to have a baby, what, would I go through the similar journey? So I started brainstorming. Uh, I, I just created a character about this mother who lives in Taipei. My mother lives in Taipei. Um, and how the entire journey, um, it gets very, very complicated and with, with a specific Taiwanese culture um, and all the mess, messy relationship uh, that goes with it. So yeah, so that's how I created the, uh, the, the story. So you're thinking about the idea for Baby Steps from hearing this NPR or KPCC sort of news report. Were you then planning the story or were you already thinking of like the dialogue, like which came first? Never really thought about the dialogue. It was more the concept of how, how um, I thought it was a very compelling journey and compelling global journey to have a baby, you have to travel from Israel to the US to India and back to Israel. It was just an amazing, uh, compelling global journey. And that's what, that was exactly the kind of global journey that I was looking for. Um, and as I mentioned before, I was also like looking for an intimate relationship, emotional journey between two people. So to give you a context, um, I've been out to my mother uh, for a long time since college. Um, it was very, very difficult to come out to her. Um, there's a saying in the LGBTQ community, uh, once you come out of a closet, your parents go right into the closet. So I've been out for my mom for a long time. She lives in Taipei. And I would visit her. I live in West Hollywood. So, so I would visit my mom um, once a year for her birthday. And every time I visit her, um, all these, we would have family gatherings and all the uncles and aunts and friends would ask me, Barney, do you have a girlfriend? When are you getting married? When are you inviting me to your wedding banquet? You know, stuff, things like that. And of course, I've been out for a long time. I would really, you know, what I really wanted to do was be open and be authentic. But out of respect for my, for my mom, I would stay silent and not talk about it. And so it's really, really difficult. After a while, we sort of grew, up, grew apart, my mother and me grew apart emotionally. So this story was really about our emotional journey of coming together. Um, even though I live in West Hollywood and Taipei, the, the, the distance is really far, but I felt like my mother and, my, and me, our emotional distance is even farther apart because we're, we wanted different things. 
Here I am in West Hollywood, an openly out gay man. Here she was in Taipei, completely in the closet. Nobody, nobody knew about me. Nobody knew about her having a gay son. So, so that was the premise of our emotional journey, the starting point, and how the mother character um, was, in a way, ashamed of having a gay son. And and by the end of the story, um, she want she she was hoping to have a grandchild in the process, and by the end of the journey, how she reconciled this emotional journey and then proudly uh, embracing this new family that the gay son is having. Well, you wrote about it in a Movie Maker uh, magazine article. I think you wrote the article, right? It was in 2017? Yeah, in 2017, when the movie came out, um, Movie Maker magazine approached me and asked me to write a personal uh, first-person essay about the experience. So, so I share pretty much um, from beginning to end how I came up with the concept, um, the entire filmmaking process, casting, um, pre-production, production process, how we film the movie in four different countries and multiple languages, <laughs> how, what it was like uh, directing and acting at the same time, and what it was like trying to get the film distributed, uh, and how the film unexpectedly became part of a larger conversation in the um, marriage equality struggle in Taipei, in Taiwan, and how it led, eventually led to the legalization of same-sex marriage in Taiwan. So it's just like, so I, so I wrote about the entire journey from beginning to the end. So yeah, check it out. We also talked about a big portion of the quote problem is the lineage aspect, so that it's very important, is it in, Taiwanese culture or just Chinese culture in general to carry on the family name? Yeah, it was really, really important for, um, I think, as a, as a parent, if your kid is not, is not married or don't have children, you feel like your job as a parent is incomplete. So my mother never felt like her responsibility as a mother is complete until all of her children are married with children. Um, so there was always a desire to have grandchildren. Um, so, so that's a cultural expectation that's very, very specifically Taiwanese, very Chinese, and I'm sure in different cultures too. Sure, a oh, lot yeah. of different. A lot of my friends, Jewish friends, Mexican friends, African American friends, they saw the movie, yeah. and they're like, you know what? <laughs> that's like my mother. My mother's <laughs> like that. So uh -huh. I think it's cross-cultural. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, and the I desire think... to carry on the name, the desire to have your children um, pass down cultural expectation, cultural norms down the lineage. I think it's very, I think it's cross-cultural. Sure, sure, and I think to the whole idea of being um, sort of stonewalled for not fitting into the quote what they expect of you. Yeah, is, is quite um, quite think, damaging to people. I think. I also explore the theme of shame. I think shame is a big part of Asian American culture, Asian culture, Taiwanese, Chinese, Japanese culture. Um, so yeah, being the, the mother character in my movie um, was clearly shameful of having a gay son. And that's why she never shared um, that aspect of her life with her friends and relatives. Um, it wasn't until the son 
openly gay son wanted to have a family and wanted to have an open, openly open family and uh, grandchildren. Um, only then did she, the, the mother character, participate in the journey and becoming more and more open. So I think shame is definitely a theme that I wanted to explore in this movie, Baby Steps. How long did it take you to write the screenplay? Once you, you're, I don't know, you're on the 10 freeway, wherever you are hearing this, this interview, and then you're like, I've got to do this. How long did it take you? So I think the first draft was like, I, I finished it in two weeks, the first draft. Shitty draft. I mean, the first draft was usually shitty. Oh, was it? No. First draft was two weeks, and I think subsequently went through at least 50 rewrites, if not more. Um, so, I mean, even when we were filming, I was rewriting. Um, one of the scenes, one of the extras came, didn't come, so we had to change the, uh, the scene and made a new character immediately. And also during post-production, after the film's already filmed, during post-production, I saw the first cut, I was like, you know what, something's missing. So I wrote more even then. So it was, it was a never-ending process until, final, until the movie was in the can, like final, final, final cut. So, so you, yeah. did you, you had an editor or did you? Yeah, yeah okay. And then you see the first cut and then you, you had to go back and, and. I just like, yeah, something's missing. This part, this, there's not the mo in the emotion, the character motivation was not there. So I needed to, so I changed, so I rewrote part of it and we recorded and we filmed some of it to make it clear. Yeah. But you know, it's one of those, one of those things like, you know, it's, you did the best you could as a writer, but then after you film, you, you, and, and things happen during filming, you either get certain stuff or you didn't get certain stuff. And then after you see the edit, you're like, you know, that needed more work. And I don't think as a writer, you, you could have foresee the process in the future. You did the best you can during each process. And each process is filmmaking by itself. Like editing, you're making the film again. You know, you're doing, you're, you're writing the film, like you're crafting the story again. So it's just, it changes. How was it to get distribution for the film? Distribution was very, very tricky. So uh, the film was sold in many different territories around the world. Uh, it was sold throughout Asian territories in Asia. Um, there were a couple territories in Europe that bought the film. Um, it was theatrically released in a couple territories in Asia, in Taipei, in Taiwan. Um, and then that was like, and then digital, digital, digital distribution was not like, was, was just the beginning. 2016, 2017 was just the beginning. Now everything's digital, right? So uh, it took me a year to really get distribution in the US. So after the film had a theatrical distribution in Asia and Europe, um, in 2016, I spent a year trying to get distribution in the U.S. And so it took me a year, and then finally the, the movie was released in 2017. Um, and, and, and the market is so different, the industry is so different now. Everything's digital. So in a way, that's, it's great because the whole world can see your film. Yeah. Sure. So, so... Yeah, I felt very lucky to be able to distribute a film in different territories. So you found a distributor or you went to an aggregator and they... We found a, distri a distributor, uh, uh, Gravitas Ventures. Oh, great. Yeah. Okay. So they took over, they did a, they 
they were able to sell the film to different platform, digital platforms. So yeah, it was, it's, all, it's on all digital platforms. Yeah. So have people reached out to you and said either, this is my story or thank you, now it's become my story, it wasn't before kind of thing? You know, I get like letters from random people a lot, all the time. Um, so after the movie came out, I got like over like 5,000 <laughs> friend requests on Facebook. Wow. So I, I think I've reached maximum of, 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 of Facebook number of friends. Um, but yeah, people wrote to me and to thank me about, for writing the story. And they told me that it really gave them courage to be who they are, to be authentic, to come out to their parents, to start their, um, their journey to become father uh, i have friends who saw the film and then decided you know what i want to be a father let's have kids so people have gotten together have gone through the surrogacy process um and and um and became fathers and yeah so i'm i'm like the uncle to like at least <laughs> four families that, that 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 went through the exact same journey Wow. As, as my fictional character went through in the story. So yeah, it's very gratifying cool. to see how art um, led to life. Art imitates life, but sometimes it shapes lives too, you know, so yeah. And, and then how did the film help? Uh, so, so gay marriage is legal now in Taiwan? Yeah, okay. it, it became legalized uh, two weeks ago. Oh wow, that, okay. So when the movie came out um, and there, people were fighting, people were struggling to, 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 have, to um, legalize same-sex marriage. Marriage equality was a huge struggle. And for a while it was stagnant. Nobody was doing anything about it. Um, and the movie came out around the time when it somehow sparked more conversation about the topic. And working with um, Taiwanese uh, activists, we were able to um, to spark more dialogue. And so, so two years later, after more work, um, Taiwan was able to become the first country in Asia to legalize same-sex marriage. Um, yes, I'm so proud of Taiwan. Wow. Do you think it'll follow suit in other parts? I hope so. I Mainland hope so. China? I hope so. Yeah, I mean, it's so a different part of country of Asia. It, some some countries being gay is illegal. Sure. Um, it's punishable by law. So I hope I, I hope so. I think that's the future. You know, that's the future equality. Um, do you think you'll do a follow up story? I don't know. You know, as an artist, I want to do something different. Oh, okay. Um, I did create a TV television series based on Baby Steps, um, but I kind of want to do something different. You know, as an artist, you want to constantly challenge yourself. So I have a couple like film and TV project in development that's completely different. Completely different, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so maybe five years later, I'll be like, oh, I missed that story. Let's, let's revisit. But now I want to do something different. <laughs> and you're in Baby Steps as well. So you wrote, direct? I wrote, and dire wrote directed, and acted in the film. Okay. Yeah, it was really, really hard. It was crazy being an actor and director because, you know, they're completely different kind of uh, approach to filmmaking. 
actor, you have to be in the moment, you have to let go, you have to forget your line. I mean, you have to know your line, but you have to forget it. You know, you have to be in the moment, react naturally, not, don't, don't control, like let go of control and be, be present. As a director, you're supposed to be like really focused on every aspect of the filmmaking, right? So it's completely different. I remember like we would do a scene and I would like communicate with all the actors and, 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 and crew about what I wanted to do. First in English and then in, in whatever the language that needed, you know, we have different sets of crews. So I had to communicate in two different languages, clearly making sure they understood what I meant. And after that, I had to let all that go and just like be really present and just be an actor, character. And, and do the scene, and after the scene is over, completely take off this actor's hat and, and rush to the monitor and, and just see what we just filmed and be very critical of every aspect of the filmmaking as a director. Um, and then one of the things I really discovered as a director was that um, I, I, I realized that actors are usually very narcissistic. <laughs> I say that because the first day of filmmaking, I remember going back to the monitor and I would only look at myself. <laughs> Did I look good on the, you know, in the scene? And I would like, oh God, Barney, you can't do that. You have to pay attention to all, you know, all the other actors too, the sound, everything. Like, I, I really had to remind myself, like remind myself every single take to really pay attention as a, as a filmmaker, as a director to all, everything within that frame and not just yourself. How does my hair look? Do I look fat? You know, things like that. <laughs> so, so I learned that to, to be able to compartmentalize, to really focus on each role as a director or as an actor. Very, it's crazy. It was so hard. I don't think I'll ever do it again. Oh, you don't think oh so? Oh my God. You've had your fill of it? It's crazy. Crazy. I've done it. <laughs> How did your mom react to the film? Okay, so that was one of the great things about making this film. I made this film, um, as I mentioned before, to, to connect with my mother in a way. Um, I saw that we were growing apart. Um, I wanted to communicate what I was thinking, what I was, what, how I felt on the screen, because there were so many things, it was really, really difficult to talk to your mother in person. I don't know if it's a Taiwan Asian thing, some things are not, you just don't express your emotion to, to your mother openly, right? So whatever I couldn't express, I put it, I wrote it and then I, and I shot it. Mm -hmm. So when she saw the film, she, was, she understood how I felt, how I felt I was left out because she never really shared an integral part of my identity with her friends. Um, she, she understood what I was trying to tell her. Um, she was very supportive during the filmmaking process as well. I knew, and then of course she wasn't able to communicate her thoughts to me as well. As we talked about, like, it was very difficult to talk to each other about that. But I felt that she was genuinely supportive of me during this pro filmmaking process. I remember we would have, um, early calls in the morning, like five o'clock calls. And you know, she would get up at three in the morning to make me breakfast and oh. to make sure that I was well fed oh, for, wow. before the, um, 
hectic days ahead. Um, she didn't really have to say, I love you. Asian people don't say, I love you, or I care about you. She didn't have to say any of that. But through her actions, I felt that she really cared, that it mattered to her, that I was successful. So yes, she was very supportive of the process. And when she saw the film, she, was, she understood where I was coming from as a person. So after the film came out, um, she took all her friends to see the film. She came out to all her friends. In fact, you know, when we were promoting the film, she actually went on with me on a talk show to talk oh. about her experience. Um, so, this movie was very instrumental in connecting my mother and me on a very deep emotional level. So that was something that, that was unexpected. So you're saying with Baby Steps that some of the film is actually almost a letter to your mom? Or, or, or saying things that you can't express? And I, I know you've done a documentary, again, along the same lines of a letter to like a love letter to someone. Do you want to share about this documentary? Because yeah. it's online and it's, it's very emotional. Yeah, um, the film is called A Love Letter. Um, I'm part of the LGBTQ Asian American community. Um, I'm on a board of PFLAG, a San Gabriel Valley API chapter. Um, as a gay man, I felt like I've known um, about prejudice and discrimination and stuff like that. But honestly, admittedly, I don't really I felt like I didn't really know much about transgender experience, even though there's a lot of similarities. Through PFLAG in San Gabriel Valley chapter, I met a lot of families with transgender children, transgender members of the family. So I felt like, oh my God, they're going through so such similar journeys that I went through as a gay man. Um, I, f I felt that I wanted to tell their. I wanted to tell their stories. As, you know, as a filmmaker, um, that's something to tell our experience, tell our, our authentic experience is something that's very important to me. So, um, P Flag and Gap App Foundation commissioned this project. Um, so, I we came up with the concept of writing a letter either to yourself or to your husband, to your wife, to your transgender children, to yourself or to your future self or um, to people you don't know about your life. What it's like to have, uh, how are you affected by having a transgender uh, person in your, in your family? So I interviewed two Japanese American families, um, parents, both parents, um, their children and siblings, and each person wrote a love letter. And um, it was so touching. I learned so much about their journey. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, it's just like last weekend, I was talking to a gay friend and he's like, you know, Barney, I just don't, as a gay man, right? We'll talk, I'm like, I just don't get transgender experience. I just don't get why, I just, I don't get it. I'm like, you know what? Watch the film. <laughs> Yeah. And, and did he watch it? Yeah. What did he say? Now I, I get it. Mm. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think it's, it, it's definitely a privilege. I feel so honored to be part of the community and to be able to tell their story um, in a very authentic, in a very authentic way. Do you think that, that because many celebrities have um, sort of, whether not even just come out themselves as transgender, but been willing to take roles and explore that, whereas maybe before it was seen as more taboo. I think having um, 
celebrities talk about uh, transgender issue definitely amplify the visibility, the, um, the community. But it's very important to know that the LGBTQ community or even the transgender community by itself is not monolithic. As I mentioned before, some gay men don't even care about, like don't know much about transgender uh, community. Um, lesbians, some lesbians hate transgender people. Really? So everybody is different. The community is not monolithic, just like the Asian American community is not monolithic. Sure. You know, so, sure. so yes, having a celebrity definitely brings more visibility, but they do not represent all Asian, uh, Asian American or transgender or LGBTQ community experiences. Interesting. And I'm, I'm just surprised that that would be the case just because you would feel that they would want to at least band together because you would think something so, right? that they feel that they there's no way they can help it. This is who they are. Right. You, think that you they, would think that empathy, right? Like so you you've gone through discrimination as a gay person, you know, you would be more empathetic sure. to transgender individuals or or um, Asian American being, you know, racially discriminated against, whatever. You would think that people would be more empathetic, but not, that's not necessarily the case all the time. Sure, yeah. I, I guess that's just a, a function of any group, any, any culture. You Everybody's know, just, different. Yeah, everybody Everybody's kind of has different. their own, well, I'm this and this is right, but that's not right. And so, yeah. and also I think some of it can come from just, and I'm not speaking of, of um, the LGBTQ community, but just within any culture where there's very strict parameters on how you're supposed to be and what is acceptable. Right. You know, what other ethnicity that it's, it's very easy to point fingers and feel, well, I'm safe and I'm good, but that's not, you know, and, and I think that we're hoping, hopefully we can look at that, whatever the issue is that, that we're pointing fingers at others for. You know, what's very interesting is hate crimes, homophobia, a lot of times come from gay people themselves because oh, they have that. some, they can't deal with this trauma, this fear within themselves that they have to express that fear in a very violent way to other gay people. Interesting. So, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of homophobia, a lot of people, a lot of politicians, for example, yes. that are anti-gay yes. or closeted gay themselves. Sure, sure. And fighting to stop certain things and then you find out that yeah. things are otherwise, yeah. How did you convince a producer to jump onto the project when, forgive me, you, you didn't have any other feature film credit in terms of directing and writing? So, um, we pitched the film, the, the project to this actress, this famous actress from Taiwan, Grace Gui, she was known as the Meryl Streep of Asia. Um, she loved the script, so she, she wanted to play the character, the mother character. Um, and through her, we were able to meet her collaborator, um, the uh, producer of uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, so she actually worked with him on The Wedding Banquet, Eat, Drink, Men, Women, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon on so many different uh, big budgeted films. So. So I, so I showed him the script and, and I told him very honestly, this story is very similar to your earlier film, The Wedding Banquet, Ang Lee directed The Wedding Banquet. Um, the Wedding Banquet was about a Taiwanese American man coming out to his parents. 
My story, it's not about that. It's about 20 years later. It's about this openly gay Taiwanese American man starting a family. So in a way, it's sort of uh, like an evolution of, 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 of this age, of this development, of the cultural development. She read the script, he read the script, and he loved it. And um, by then, we already had like about 50% of our budget secured. So he came on board, um, and I remember pitching the project to him in September. We were doing pre-production in December, so three months later. So we came together very quickly. Yeah, I think I saw online, um, maybe Vimeo, that Ang Lee actually sort of had a congratulations. Yeah, it was so <laughs> wonderful. Like after the, when we had a theatrical release, um, they, uh, Ang Lee congratulated um, us and also congratulated on, on the, uh, on Grace, you know, the Meryl Streep of Asia um, uh, on the performance. And, and um, yeah, it was so, it was so wonderful. And that, and that really helped us for, with marketing. Yeah, getting the film noticed. How did you actually convince the producer, though, that you could direct the film? So um, by then, I had already had uh, five short films. So I showed the um, the director, uh, the, the producer, that I my short films, um, and also and also I showed him my reel as an actor, um, and he loved the script. So. Yeah, it all came together. I think you know. I think people are reluctant to invest to to uh, to produce a project if they had no idea what you could do. But I think having shorts, um, produced directed shorts, were uh, your resume. You know, it's your sample. So yeah. So he felt more secure um, knowing that um, I knew how to direct, you know, what the camera is and how, you know, how to work with different people, the crew, the actor and stuff like that. And also that I spoke both languages because the film is very international. As you know, the film is like three or four different languages. So, and, and I'm multilingual, so I could communicate clearly uh, my vision. And how many producers are actually on the film? Well, two, one US producer, Stephen Israel, and uh, one in Taiwan. Um, and we had line producers and different people, but yeah, but two main producers. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay. And we partner with different, um, the city of Taipei gave us money, um, um, Taiwan Ministry of Culture gave us money, um, Tribeca Film Institute gave us money as well. Um, so multiple part, different, different partners gave us money, different companies. So it's really about pitching the, the film and um, try to get as many partners to collaborate on the same vision as possible. Yeah. Was everyone supportive of you making the film or did anybody try to stop you or say this is too difficult, do something that's not going to be, you know, different location? I never really pay attention to, I'm sure there were people like that, but I sort of like blotted out those voices. So I'm trying to think of who were those people, but I can't really think of it. I'm sure there were a lot of those people there trying to sabotage or, or trying to dissuade me from doing this, but I just never, I mean, I, I just never let it affect me. Because I think in order to create anything with passion, you kind of have to be uh, a fool. You just do it. 
without questioning True. it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were you also working a part-time job? Did you have to take time off? Or? I think uh, when I was writing the, the screenplay, I was still working part-time. Um, when we were, when I was pitching full-time, I quit my job, mm-hmm. the law firm job, yeah. to fully pitch and and doing pre-production, forget it. You know, if that's the only thing you could do, pre-production, you couldn't do anything else. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, that's the hard part about having like the quote day job, even if it's at night. Yeah. Like, I think if it's in the service industry or whatever, okay, they'll give you some, yeah, law firms don't do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you remember the first person or entity that gave you money? And it came from distant sources? Yes. The first, the, it was the Ministry of Culture of Taiwan. They gave us um, four hundred thousand dollars. Wow! Or yeah, four hundred thousand dollars to make the film. What's the conversion rate? Sorry, what what are we talking about? So it was like four hundred four hundred dollars. Is it four hundred? No, wait, maybe three three hundred thousand dollars U.S. dollars. Wow! Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, to make the film. Wow! Uh, so that was the first uh, uh, entity that that gave us money, but even then we couldn't raise the money. But with the Ministry of Culture of Taiwan, they give you the money, but you need to make this movie within two years. If you don't make this movie within a certain period of time, you lose that money. Ah. So we needed to come up with the rest of the budget. Mm. So, so yeah, so we were hustling. That's stressful, hustling. yeah. Stressful, yeah. So they have a, a set aside money, like, you know, different programs or whatever for Film and things like yeah, that. Yeah, the film, and t- film, TV, music, different different aspects of the culture, Taiwanese culture. You know, it was, it, they would try to promote Taiwanese culture. So, and this movie is very Taiwanese American. It was part, part of its American Asian American experience. Another part is Taiwanese experience. The mother character lives in Taipei, right. so she represents that part of the culture. The sun represents both Taiwanese and American. So, so it makes sense for, for Ministry of Culture to be advocating for this project. Um, and so after that, City of Taipei gave us money because we're filming Taipei as well. Um, Taipei, every year, the end of October, um, Taipei hosts the largest gay pride parade in Asia. So it's the biggest event. So th- and that's in our movie. So oh. so we promoted that too. Um, yeah. How long have they been doing that? Oh, I don't know. For like twenty, I don't know, like 10, 15 years. I'm not really sure. Long time for a long time. Does it coincide with the Pride that's here in the U.S.? No, uh, Taipei Pride is the end of October. Oh, I see. The end okay. Of October. Yeah. Okay. And June is June Pride is, yeah. here. Okay. It's coming up. Coming yeah. up next week. Yeah, in West Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be marching. Okay, right. <laughs> With the Taiwan Ministry of Culture, what was the process like to submit the film? Like, are you submitting the screenplay? They're reviewing it? So you collaborate with a production company in Taiwan, and then they will submit your project on your behalf. Um, so yeah, so you submit a screenplay. It needs to be translated into, in, in, into Chinese. Um, and then you went through uh, elimination you know, process and they you know, interview like maybe, I don't know, 10, 15, I don't know how many projects you interview. And then you go and pre- present your project to a panel of judges and then they 
if they like a project, if, if, if aspects of your project sort of uh, have shared vision with what they're looking for, then you get it, then you get the money. So, wow. yeah. Yeah, that's, that's quite a generous amount to, to give. But it, that being said, it wasn't enough to get you up and running. You, you knew no. that that two years you had to, there was a fire under you to keep going. Yeah, and it was really, really hard. And we really, and for a year, we, we wasted a year. I mean, it's not a waste. You learn from the experience. If this is something that might be interesting for your viewers. You're making a, a small independent film that's under $2 million, for example. What we were trying to do, we were trying to like attach a name actor for, our, for one of the supporting roles in the film. We went through the entire year. We hired a casting director. We pitched it to known Hollywood actors for the part. We went nowhere for a year. So after a year of getting nowhere, um, we decided, you know what? This is not going anywhere. We could, be, we could be doing this for 10 years and nothing would happen. So we decided to cast someone that's not known for the supporting character. And we were able to make the film like that. So the advice to filmmakers, if your budget is low indie films, don't waste your time trying to get this like A-list actor or whatever. Just do the best you can within the budget. Otherwise you'll be wasting your time for a long, 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 long time. So what was the, so you have this casting director, they're submitting to people's, you know, agents or whatever. What, what amount of time are you waiting to hear back? So like, for example, you submit, you through this, through casting director, casting director would submit the script to the agent of this actor and we wouldn't hear from them for a month. And then they, once you submitted the script to that actor, you're not gonna submit to a multi, you can't smu- submit true. to multiple actors. So you have to wait for a month and they don't even read it. They don't get back to you for a month. And, 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 and if they get back to you, pass, right? right? So you have to do the process again for another month. If they respond, you know, pass. And so you go through the entire year and by the time, a year passes and you're like, oh my God, I'm so frustrated. And, you, and <laughs> right. you start doubt, oh my God, maybe your script sucks. Maybe it's bad, whatever. So these are the things like that distractions sure. um, that keeps you focused on making the project. Um, so yeah, don't do what I did. <laughs> so then, cause you, well, you knew you had like, you know, this clock was ticking. You had this nice sum of money that would definitely really help the production. That's gotta be very stressful yeah. to know it could go away. Yeah. So, so then once you found the, the name that you wanted for the supporting character, then how did you get the other producers on board? Or you, or, no, you just had the city of Taipei and then the well, Taiwanese uh, Ministry of Culture. Well, all those entities are financiers in a way. They, they gave us the money. The producer came on board uh, and then we cast it, and then we did the casting. Oh, and we, okay. So the producer um, that came on board, um, the producer of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Lee Kong Su, he, he was very open to uh, an actor that's not known. So with his blessing, we were able to cast the film. No one's known in a movie, except for the mother character who's Meryl Streep of Asia. She's so famous in Asia. But there's no one Hollywood name, you know. So 
so yeah, so we made the movie. Although if, if, if we kept trying to get a Hollywood A-list name actor, we, I, we would still be trying now. Wow. Yeah. Why do you think it's easy for an actor to write a screenplay? Or maybe it's not easy. I think it's easier because we know the characters. We know how to analyze the character, where the character is coming from, what's motivating the characters, um, the, the background, the circumstances. We break down the character. Right. Every time you have an audition, like you, you ask a question. So, what's my objective? Where's this coming from? What happens before the scene? What's the conflict in the story? So, you're like, you, we were trained to think from the character's perspective. So that really helped writer to craft believable characters, three-dimensional characters, character with an arc, conflicted characters. <laughs> so things like that. I think it's really helpful. It also helps helps me as a director too. To be able to how to communicate my vision to an actor, I understand his or her process. You know, the actor asks the questions that I would be asking. So it helps me, having gone through as an actor, it helps me as a writer and director how to tell my story and how to communicate to my actors. Speaking of communicating with the actors. What is your style? Is your style to not say anything and be like, great, moving on? Or do you like to give your actors a lot of feedback and reassurance? I don't. Again, I spent so much time casting the right actors, just like Woody Allen did for Hollywood Ending, what I learned from him. You, you cast the right actors, they, they do their homework. They know the characters more than you do. Sometimes they bring stuff to you, you're like, oh my God, that is so good. I've never thought of it that way, but that's so great, it's perfect. So I don't talk to the, uh, the actors too much unless what they're doing is deviates too much from my vision. Usually they know what they're doing, they know their lines, they know their back character, they know where they're, where they're coming from in the scene. Um, I talk to them a little bit about their character, but usually the dialogue, uh, they know exactly what you're trying to say anyways, the actor, the smart actors that you hire. So hire the right actors, spend a big part of your time casting, doing research, casting the right actors who will do their homework, know the character, and who will bring surprises to you. Yeah. And you will still continue to use casting directors? Oh, you have to, because you don't have time to like see 100 actors for a role. You know, the casting directors, they eliminate all the actors and bring five top choices for callbacks. And, you know, you don't have time. <laughs> you have to, you have to have a casting director. How many screenplays have you written? The monkey one, the two brother one, the great wine. Seven? Seven, seven okay. screenplays. Yeah. Feature, are they feature length? So seven feature screenplays. I've written two TV pilot and one episodic uh, spec. Yeah. How long do they normally take or does each one have its own? Each one is different. Each one is different. Some, some requires a lot of research. Um, I did a, I, I wrote a screenplay about wine country um, in China. That took a lot of time because I actually needed to do a lot of research. Um, I need Sounds to like fun learn. research. It was fun <laughs> research. I actually, uh, 
Uh, I learned a lot about uh, winemaking. <laughs> I actually visited Bordeaux, France, to uh, to learn about like how to pick graves and, and how to make wine, the fermentation, like all the process. So that that was a fun project. That project took a really long time, <laughs> a year, a year and a half. <laughs> yeah. So it depends on the project. So was it like Sideways? But, or did it have that same protagonist or, or was it a different protagonist? It was, a, it was a, 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 again, like a lot of my projects are usually very global, like international. So it was a, love, it was a romantic comedy, a love story between a winemaker in the US and a winemaker in China. Oh, okay, interesting, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I love how uh, Paul Giamatti's character is so fragile. And he compares the fragility of different things to like the grape that's like, you know, needs time to have the right soil and everything. And I just, I don't know, I'm deviating, but yeah. So, so, but it sounds like it was totally different. Yeah. Yeah, it's totally different. Yeah. Where do you go to write your screenplay? I love my, um, my workspace. Um, one of the things that, I, so I, I, I work from home. One of the things that's very important to me is to make sure that your workspace is very comfortable because you spend a lot of time there. So I have a really, I stand when I work, yeah. standing mm -hmm. desk, yeah. because I think people do sit too much. Yes. It's not good for your lower back, so I stand. Um, and I just, and my room is very colorful. It's blue, it's all blue, <laughs> blue and green. So, so, and, and um, so I believe the environment is very important to you, make sure you have plenty of coffee available, yeah. uh, music, and things like that. So what makes you comfortable and create that ideal space for you because you're gonna spend a lot of time there. I spend a lot of time at home writing. Interesting. Yeah. Do you go out ever and write? I do. Uh, sometimes it's because um, I, get kind of, I get bored. I needed some kind of, uh, um, like, a different experience that, that that's gonna a, a recharge kind of thing. Um, so I go out, go for a walk, or go to a cafe. Um, it's usually when I'm stuck. Like when you're stuck, you need a, something different, whether it be physical activity or a different environment or just or people around you, or whatever. Yeah. So when I'm stuck, I, I go out and do something different. Go swimming walk the dog, go to a cafe, you know, go shopping, something physical. Yeah. Is there a certain screenwriting book that's been helpful? I mean, Sid Field or UCLA, just Richard Walter. Oh my God. What is that? Uh, making character gray. What's that? Oh, What's making uh, Linda, Linda Seeger. Oh, oh, I read all her books. Oh, okay. I read all her books. How to make character, how to uh, be a better, I, I forgot the name of it, uh, of the books, but there are like a series of them. Okay. Four or five of them. I read all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Linda Seeger is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like listening to her speak yeah. too. Oh, okay. She's very calming if you hear her voice and just how she describes oh, really? the process. I've never met her in person or heard her speak. Is it on Google? Uh, yeah, on YouTube? Yeah. Okay, maybe mm -hmm. I'll Well, we had the fortunate um, opportunity to talk to her at Story Expo, I oh, think in cool. 2014, but there's also other videos. And so she has a great, very patient way of explaining, and, and I like listening to it. Um, yeah, I think she you'd makes enjoy it. so much sense. Yeah, yeah. Great. Why do you think writers struggle with finishing a screenplay? I think we have a lot of doubts about the quality of, of, of our work. Um, I know that 
first draft is usually you just regurgitate everything out, right? You get it out. Um, so at every level of the writing process, you're constantly um, confronting your doubts and your worst insecurities. So I don't know. It's about it's about overcoming that and just ignore that and just keep focusing and keep making marching forward. So if you are attached to those insecurities or distraction, that stops you. So that's probably why. Um, yeah, even if even the I I I've read interviews or watched in, interviews of people I admire, writers I admire. Um, they go through the same insecurities that we go through. So I don't think we ever stop having insecurities about our work. Um, but I think it's our job to ignore that and just, again, like a fool, just marching <laughs> foolishly without questioning, just keep going, ignore the distractions. And that's how we finish. It, it, it sounds like finishing isn't what I could see you with finishing it. You, you finish what you start. You seem very disappointed. It's very important for me to finish what I started. Um, whether it be, it's not, it's never perfect. Like going, going through the uh, baby steps filmmaking process made me realize screenwriting, it's never ending until the film is finished. So it's never finished and knowing that is never finished um, it's never quote-unquote perfect it sort of relieves the pressure to be perfect so you just do the best you can during that time so do the best you can and um, try to finish it you have to finish it uh, and it doesn't have to be perfect so yeah so finishing isn't one of the things that that hangs you up. Is there something that's more your Achilles heel when it comes to work? Yes, definitely. Finishing is not my problem. Um, my problem is coming up with a, a concept that I'm passionate about for a long time. See, I have a lot of ideas, right? A lot of ideas come to me, but I'm attached to like, oh, I love this idea. And then like the next day, a week later, you're like, oh, oh I'm lukewarm about it now. So I think it's hard for me to come up with ideas that I'm passionate about for long, for the long term. Um, that's my problem. Committing to that, to an idea that you think would uh, would be able to um, keep you going for three months, four months, you're writing. That's a big problem for me. Committing to that idea. Did you feel that at all with baby steps? No, because it's so personal. I knew exactly the structure. It's a global journey. It's an intimate relationship journey between me and my mother. It was, it was already hooked, grounded in those two realities. So, uh, and those issues are very personal and very important to me as a person. It's very authentic to my core. So I was, it was so easy, it's easy to commit to that. Mm -hmm. But I haven't found anything else that's like, that I'm like, I want to hold on to you for next for the next three or four years. Yeah. Maybe it's, for maybe for three months. Sure, you know? sure. Yeah, it's hard to, to really I mean, because you're looking at something so closely every day and yeah. to to keep it um, you know, to be interested in it's definitely a challenge. People should just tell their stories and see what's important to them in their core, like what's important to them, what's authentic. And those are the things that 
that's going to ground you, that's going to keep you going when, 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 when the screenwriting process is difficult, when the filmmaking process is difficult. Um, yeah, so tell our own authentic stories. You say you're an artist. What other artists do you admire and either want to sort of emulate certain work or just, just you just admire what they do and sort of who they are? I don't really admire any particular artist because artists are, it's difficult for everybody. Um, and people often ask me who is my favorite filmmaker or directors or whatever. But then it's kind of hard because sometimes you would see this movie and you're like, oh my God, so brilliant. And then the next movie you're like, eh, it's, you know, I'm not crazy about it. So it's hard. It's, it's project by project. It's never, we're human beings. We're never perfect and we evolve. And sometimes, sometimes you res, sometimes projects resonate with you. Sometimes they don't. And they could be coming from the same artist. So what I'm saying is we are always evolving as an artist, as a person. So it's hard to commit or attach to that idea. Who's your favorite? Do you have any advice to actors about writing a screenplay? Yeah, definitely. Um, again, we have to create, we have to be proactive, um, create our own project, um, write from a place of authenticity, write what you know. Um, when something comes, when something is authentic, People can relate to that. It resonates with people across cultures. So definitely write uh, something that, that's, that's important to you, that you feel compelling, and also use your imagination. I mean, like writing something, writing a screenplay is really about your life experience and also your imagination. It's not just your life experience because you have to make the scene more compelling. <laughs> so, so yeah, um, and as an actor, you are blessed to have the skill to be able to analyze character, to be able to craft a scene. Utilize that in your writing. My, I never, as I mentioned before, I never thought I could write, but yes, you can. Everybody can write. If you write from an authentic place, then it's real, then it's, then it's relatable, then people wanna watch it, you know? So yeah, absolutely, keep writing. And that's what makes you, um, makes you thrive as, as an artist, as an actor. Because again, acting is not about every day. You don't, you know, you need to be given the opportunity to, to act, right? So you either have to be always taking classes, per, you know, perfecting your craft, or you need to be working artistically as a, as a storyteller, as a writer. So yes, always writing. When you were finishing the UCLA um, screenwriting course, the two-year course, and then you started on probably like thinking of ideas, were there ideas that you started and thought, this isn't me, I'm abandoning it because this doesn't, this isn't my core speaking to me before you came up with Baby Steps? Were there things where you thought, you know, this would be interesting, this would be good, and then you realized, you know what, I'm writing for the market here. I'm, I'm not, this isn't really gonna resonate with Barney. Definitely there, you know, because you're always under the um, expectation that you want to write something that's marketable, that's going to make a lot of money for the studio. So uh, you want to write a superhero story. And they're not like my, 
I don't even go to see like superheroes, uh, summer blockbusters. Right? So, <laughs> so yeah, so quickly, <laughs> I like, you know what, I'm not even going to write those stories because that's just not me. That's just not me. Um, so when I was in, when I was in the class, I wrote a story about, I forgot what it was like. It was like a sci-fi film about this like superhero and the dark ages and, and the battle between that and something I forgot. But it was like, so not me. So it didn't go anywhere. It didn't keep, I, I wasn't passionate about it. I think it was, it was just, um, I came up with a story. I wrote maybe act one and then that was it for the class. <laughs> so yeah, write what you know, um, write uh, from your authentic place is very, very important. Yeah, and imagination, use your imagination. Where do we find the authentic place? How, how do we know it's authentic? You just have to be very honest with yourself. Like you could tell, I mean, if you, if you really, really just listen to our feelings, we could tell what's authentic. Um, yeah, just, just be very present and very honest with yourself. Um, try not to come up with anything that's for other people or for the market. Um, those things will come once you come up with an authentic storytelling. Um, be honest with yourself, yeah. What was it like when you found that authenticity, I guess with baby steps, it sounds like it just, you heard the story idea and, and you just knew that that would resonate with, with you, but what was that like? How did you know that that was really, this is, this is the right one? When I was writing a story, there was a pivotal scene in the story, in screenwriting terms, is the lowest point of the story, the end of act two. Um, there's a big confrontation between the mother character and the son character. They are fighting like head on. You know? So that was something that I went through with my mother. And of course, when I was writing the, the scene, um, I needed to revisit that feeling, that experience, but obviously in a different context because the story is different. So I revisited that as a writer, wrote that. When we were filming it, um, it was really, really difficult because uh, this is so many like logistical stuff on set that, that that's distracting to you as a filmmaker, as an actor. So I remember this, the room was very, very small. It was a banquet scene. It's very, very small. Um, and the mother character was giving this powerful speech about how she finally comes to terms with, with her um, shame and, and now that she celebrates, she's proud of the son, right? So the, the, the resolution of the conflict. And I'm, the character that I was playing was supposed to listen to the story, to, to her speech, but I, I was looking at her, but I wasn't looking at her. I was looking at a tennis ball next to a, the camera. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, you know, there's so, so many distractions, but I remember uh, as an actor, I, I knew I needed to revisit that part of experience from my own personal experience. So I, so I, so try to stay calm, look at the tennis ball as if I was looking at my mother, a real mother, um, and just remember that. 
and the and, and the, the mother character was actually giving speech on the other side, even though she was supposed to be right there, but she was right there. So I just listened her to her words, imagining my mother and revisit that experience. And it was just magical. So just being able to just remember what that authentic place was and revisit it and just to be very honest with with yourself and, and not afraid to visit the dark places, the places that are messy, the places that are shameful, um, and places that you didn't want to visit, but just have the courage to visit and acknowledge that. And magic would happen when you do that. When you were writing Baby Steps, how confident were you that you were going to get the movie made? Again, I wasn't really focusing on not getting it made. I I knew I was. Again, I keep using this this like this metaphor, not a metaphor, but like a reference. Like you're a fool. You just keep walking and marching foolishlessness, you know, foolishly without like thinking about what's gonna happen. You just keep marching. I just knew that it would be made one day, um, and I um, there were times where I almost gave up. But I didn't. Um, having that that faith, that foolish faith, uh, for some reason just kept you going. I remember one time after a year of fundraising, casting, we were going nowhere. One of the producers I was working with um, left the project. She spent a year with me, and we were going nowhere. So even after having raised about $300,000 of money, um, she left the project. And I was like, oh, what do I do now? I was swimming and I was like, should I give up? After, after spending three years writing and then one year fundraising, do I give up and do something else or do I continue? And I continued. And that evening I, I talked to one of the actors, the, the, the actress that played uh, the mother character. And that's when she introduced me to her longtime collaborator of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And because of that, she picked it up and the film got made. So I guess I was just like, I never really, I never, not getting the film made was never an option. And you just have to be a fool. Just keep going, be a fool. You said there were two times you almost gave up. Are you able to share the other time? That was a, that was a time. Oh, it was one time. Okay, yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty devastating. Well, I mean, like so, there were so many times like I almost gave up because you know I went through a year of casting the lead character with the A-list names, but every time someone you know gives a pass, oh, it's a pass, or whatever. You, a little, a little bit, you know, a little bit of you, you know, start questioning it. But then you just have to be a fool and just don't think about it and just keep marching foolishly. Foolish faith, I like to call it. What was it about this film that you had to make it? It is so personal and it was a dialogue. If I didn't make this movie, my mother would never be able to know how I feel about us. Again, I make this movie to connect with my mother. I, there are so many things I could not tell her in person something about the Asian culture that stops you from communicating person to person with emotional stuff. We don't tell each other, I love you. 
we express our ideas through actions. And me, I express my ideas of frustration or struggles, conflicts through my writing. So I really wanted to make this movie so my mother could see the film. My mother could, could read the screenplay and see the finished product out on the screen and understand how I felt. And so the film, in a way, connected us emotionally. And we went through this journey together and this art really helped bridge our distance. So on a personal level, that was, very, that, was, that was a very important reason for me to get the movie made, having invested so much of my time uh, on the project. And it's also about an interracial couple too. It's not just same-sex marriage. It's, it's an interracial relationship as well. So you're really challenging there's so many, I mean, like one of the things that we, that, that screenwriters think about is what are this like multiple levels of conflict in this movie? There's conflict between mother and son, a gay son and a mother who does, who's shameful about having a gay son. There's conflict between two different cultures. The mother character is not very accepting of the interracial relationship. Um, there's conflict of global conflict. There's no, the couple is, is like, has no money. How can they possibly have a baby? The, the traditional way, the surrogacy in the U.S. would cost like $150,000. Oh. But going through this global journey somewhere else is much cheaper. So there's economic conf class conflict, there's international conflict, there's a subplot, sub-character, um, an Indonesian uh, housekeeper in Taipei. Um, so there's, there's, inter there's class conflict in, 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 in this uh, subplot as well. So this is like many, many different levels of conflict that screenwriters strive to create <laughs> because that's what makes the story interesting and compelling, right? Conflict, conflict, conflict. Right. Which part was more of a hot button, the interracial or the same sex? I think it's the same sex uh, uh, marriage, not the marriage necessary, but the coming to terms with having a gay son, um, having a gay member of a family, um, being open about it. Um, it's very easy for Taiwanese culture, uh, parents to just not talk about that, get the gay aspect of your child's life. Oh. Yeah. Face is very important. Um, just having a face, you know, oh yeah, you know, my son is doing well. He's He's a filmmaker, he went to great school, but not about the gay aspect of it. So, so yeah, so not, that was definitely the, the major conflict of the story, the um, not being able to deal with the gay aspect of the son's life. So no, being in the Bay Area, and I know you were there for four years or whatever, and me having basically grown up there, I saw so many interracial relationships. It seems like it's pretty embraced there. I found it wasn't embraced as much in LA. Do, do you notice that? I realize that's a pretty strong statement, but I, I really see that the Bay Area was very open to interracial, not just same-sex couples, obviously, but interracial. I think there's a renaissance in reclaiming um, pride for our own culture. Growing up in America, um, all the stuff you see on the media, 
Um, what's beautiful? White is beautiful. I've never seen images of myself on a screen or prints or media. I've never seen a beautiful Asian man. So a lot of times you see a lot of interracial couple, Asian, white, black, white, Hispanic, white. It's always, it's a manifestation of what is beauty and it's because of the media. Sure. But right now, I think there's people of color, we are reclaiming our own beauty. We see more images of ourselves in the media. So I'm dating an Asian American man. Whereas before I was dating like, you know, white guys. So, so maybe that's part of it. I'm not sure, but um, definitely there's a renaissance in our own pride, our own culture. Um, and we're embracing that aspect that's, that has been missing in our Asian American culture. Yeah, I feel like millennials have been instrumental in, in that and in, in, in Gen Z, whereas maybe Generation X wasn't as much and then baby boomers, but I feel like the newer generations have been much more open to choosing a different path, whatever that is. I mean, I think it's so diverse. That, uh, diversity, you see so many different images now on TV, on film. Um, so um, it definitely feels more inclusive. So you, I definitely see myself on the screen now, more representation now. So I think younger generation, they don't even think about what we think about. Right, right. Yeah. That's what yeah, it's a given mm -hmm. that everybody's, everybody's everywhere. Sure, sure. And different. And, and also, too, within the LGBT community, there's just, or excuse me, LGBTQ community. Because they added the Q recently, right? It wasn't always that. Right. What is the reason for that? I'm curious. What's the queer designation? Versus... I think there's um, the idea of, there's so many different, again, to the idea of um, the community is not monolithic. Um, less LGBTQ. TQ, it sort of encompasses everything else that's not, um, there's, there's gender non-binary, there's transgender, uh, and within the community, uh, transgender community, there's diversity. Um, there are people that are questioning, we're not sure. Hmm. Um, so it, it encompasses everything else. Interesting. That are marginalized. Right. Okay. Yeah. What thoughts do you have for people who feel like they're having trouble getting their scripts out there and getting seen, getting read? What advice? I'm having the same problem. I think, <laughs> okay. I think the problem is finding the right person to, um, to send it to. If your script is about like a murder mystery, you're not gonna send it to a romantic comedy company. So like you just have to, and, and each of our stories are so specific and so authentic to our experiences. You just have to find the right match. Uh, once you find the right match, then it's great. So I think the homework, your work, in addition to finishing the story and getting the story to the best shape possible, the next step is to find the right company or the person to send it to. So the frustration is probably uh, comes from that sending it to the wrong people, not doing the homework to send to the right people, yeah. Are you in that position now or you're working on another Right now I'm focusing on finishing my project right now. I, you know, I feel, I feel like it's, it's not good to send anything out that is not ready. So um, that's another thing that, that a lot of people, a lot of mis people, the mistake that people make that send out stuff that's not ready. You have one chance. <laughs> 
So you you better make sure that a project is in amazing shape before sending out to people to who are who are going to consider your project. So yeah, so I am focusing right now on um, my feature film right now, with script. Um, when it's ready, then I'll send it out. Do you have an idea of when it will be ready? I give myself this rewriting process, this process by the end of September. So I have about three months to finish rewriting the script uh, and then probably a couple rewrites before I set it out. So this is my second rewrite. Will you give it to anyone else to, to look over? I will send it to, I have a group of people that I trust. Um, I will send it to a handful of people that I trust um, that are, that will, who will give me truthful, authentic, advice and feedback um yeah don't give it to people your family members yeah who always say good things about it don't give it to actors who wants to be in the film don't give it to people you know what i mean just make sure that those people have no conflict or, or any kind of vested interest in being the project whatever someone you trust someone who knows what they're talking about. Um, and I have about like five or six people like that that would give me their authentic, real advice and feedback that are constructive. Are they also writers? Some writers, some actors, um, some producers, yeah. Looking back on it now, why are you still here in Hollywood and what stories do you want to be involved in? I think I can help it because um, I'm a storyteller and what excites me is to, to um, explore different ideas. Um, recently I'm obsessed with the idea of like second chances. Like imagine someone who's trying to reinvent himself but who, the, the entire world is suppressing you, su suppressing you and not giving you that second chance. I'm very interested in this idea right now. So, so I, can't, I can't help it, but, cause I'm, I don't know, what, that, that's what gives me alive, makes me alive to explore different ideas. Um, so as a writer, that is so exciting to me to wake up every day and be able to express, explore those ideas and ask those questions that most people don't get to ask, you know? Um, I don't know. Like, Exploring this idea of, of reinventing yourself and second chances, I also think about like um, our identity and that's sort of related to what you're talking about. Like, I feel like we, me, Barney, it's, there's so many different aspects of identity of me. Like I'm a writer, I'm a director, I'm a filmmaker. I'm also a brother, I'm a, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a confidant, <laughs> you know, I'm a best friend. So, so I feel like, it's good to be able to explore different part of your identity and not focusing on one. Yeah, so, um, but right now, the reason I'm still here is because screenwriting, filmmaking, acting, it still excites me. The day that it stopped exciting me, it's then, then, then I'm gonna be doing something. Then I'm gonna reinvent myself and do something else. But right now, um, I have the privilege to ask all these uh, big questions and explore ideas that most people don't get to explore. So, 
Is that something that bothers you or you question in that with films that are LGBTQ related that it has to be only about orientation or sexual preference, whatever, instead of just being about the whole person? Like you're a dog dad, you know, you said earlier you have dogs, so that's another element of someone's identity. Is that something that ever bothers you? That it has to be only about that, that you can't show the person as multi-dimensional? Well, there's a place for that. Again, we talked about earlier in the interview, I talked about pride. You need to have a pride. You need to have, you need to be proud of who you are first before you can share other aspects of your life with other people. You have to become whole first before you can share the different dimensions of your life with other people. If you don't have that pride, if you're shameful of being gay, how can you be authentic with your different experiences? So you have to have that first. Once you have that yes, then there's much more to your identity than just being a gay person. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been out for a long time now. I'm very comfortable with who I am. So I don't really focus on that much on that aspect of my life, even though it's core of who I am. I'm exploring different aspects of my life now too. Um, same thing with filmmaking too, like we talked about that. Um, yeah, you know, it excites me. So like, it's part of my identity. Um, it also gets very frustrating sometimes, but um, having different part of your identity, a different part of your life, being a good father, being a good brother, being a good friend, that will help you deal with you know frustrations from your filmmaker identity, for example. So it's all um, I strive to be well-rounded. Um, I don't know if I answered that question. Well, yeah, yeah. I just meant to in the context of storytelling, because you know, you often hear about whether it's um, films about people of color, that it has to be only about ethnicity, when really it's, they, they, people want to focus on the whole person, and then maybe some of the issues with certain um, types of films is that it's only focusing on one aspect of that person instead of showing the person as a whole. And I was just wondering if, does that, what, what thoughts you had on that? Whether, so it's, it's not just about someone's sexual orientation, it's showing the person as a whole person. But it's really not just that, it's not, I, I, I can't imagine a story that focuses only that. I mean, just for example, Baby Steps, yes, it's about uh, having a gay son, this mother who's shameful of that. But there's so many layers, it's, a, it's about, being an immigrant, it's about class conflict, it's about economic conflict, it's about um, interracial relationship, it's all that. So it's not just about that. Maybe one part of it is more prominent, a dominant, but there's subordinate parts that are just as compelling as well. So I don't really, I don't, I don't think there's any project that's only about that. If, only, if it's only about that, then I don't think it's a good project. It doesn't resonate with anybody else, you know what I mean? And there's gotta be different aspects of the, of the process or, or, the, or, or the journey that resonates with other people. So yeah, I don't know anything that, I don't know any project that's, that's solely about being gay. Okay. Or solely about being Asian American. There's other aspects too. Was there a certain project that stood out to you where you were like, I want to create work like that? I know you said with different artists, you don't necessarily just love everything they do across the board, but were there certain projects, whatever they yeah. were, whatever type of movie? What is that movie? Uh, what is that movie with the um, African-American uh, mathematicians and the astronaut? I forgot the name of it. 
Oh, oh, uh, uh, the, oh, uh, Hidden Figures, sorry. Hidden yes. Figures, yes. <laughs> when I saw that movie, I was like, oh my God, I love that movie. Um, it's about being proud of who you are and like you're telling stories of these three mathematicians, African-American ma mathematicians that you don't even know about. You don't know about their stories. And, and, then, and then they're part of the American experience that contributed to the success of America despite discrimination. Stories like that, I really loved. And I was like, you know what, I'm gonna write an Asian American version of that. Of Hidden Figures? Yeah. Nice, are you working on that now or no? I'm working on that right now. Oh, you are? Okay, yes. okay, all right, well, yes. keep it under wraps. <laughs> <laughs>